the Fantasy Football Welcome to Fantasy Football Beat, the podcast that will never let your team die in darkness. I am Mike Hume. And I'm Jeff Dooley. Des Beeler is out today. Coincidentally enough, for our accountability show. Mm, uh, big, interesting. Big surprise there. Yeah. Well, we will miss Des, and we thank him greatly for joining us throughout the season. Uh, this is the season finale, so uh, what we wanted to do is basically just sit down and talk about some of the big hits and misses that we've had throughout the year and maybe spin it forward to 2018 a little bit and see what it means uh, for the offseason ahead, for drafts coming up uh, this summer, and uh, also just to sort of hold our feet to the fire a little bit. Uh, you know, the Washington Post pretty big on accountability journalism, uh, so we're going to hold ourselves to that standard. So let's start out, Jeff, by just how'd you do in your leagues, man? I know you and I play a lot of fantasy football. Uh, we are, you know, the quote-unquote experts here since we have uh, these microphones here in front of us. Uh, how'd you do? Hopefully well. Yeah, so I, I was in uh, three primary leagues this year uh, in which we played out the whole season. Um, so I, I won a championship in one in our ESPN alumni league that you're also a part of, Mike. Soft, uh, soft a, clap for that. Had a loss in the semifinals in the Washington Post League we run inside the office here. That's the one where Des had the amazing undefeated season until the championship round uh, and then lost to John Romero, who took home the title. Uh, my third league, uh, my friends league, the one I <laughs> by far care the most about, uh, missed the playoffs at Ooh. six and seven. Mm. Uh, pretty, uh, pretty brutal uh, injury list there, but just didn't uh, didn't hit on a few players. Uh, so I would say an above average year for me, but could have been better. So I, I play in six leagues, which is uh, way too many. Uh, in case anyone is ever wondering what the optimal number of leagues is, it's not six. <laughs> Certainly not. Uh, so I play in uh, the one that I did the worst is is the post league, which was uh, great for uh, coming in and being ridiculed mercilessly every Monday <laughs> and Tuesday by uh, our colleagues here. Uh, that one I finished around 500. I think I might have been six and seven. I don't have it in front of me. I'm trying to forget that league entirely. Uh, my family league was my other uh, other league that I finished at seven seven. Uh, we have an extra week. Uh, that was also good for my self esteem, as my wife and sister in law would ridicule me endlessly. Uh, so those those were my worst leagues. I made the playoffs in the other four. Ended up in the semifinals of a uh, ten team keeper league and also a uh, 14-team redraft. Uh, or, I'm sorry, not uh, that was the... I made the playoffs in that one, but I didn't reach the finals or semifinals. I uh, made the semifinals in our ESPN League, Jeff. Uh, but, yeah, just couldn't get it home. Uh, Carson Wentz took it out of me uh, for those last two weeks. He yep. was my quarterback in a couple leagues. Didn't get it done. Um, so, yeah, better luck next year, I guess. Uh, so, let's with that in mind, let's revisit some of our, our bigger hits and misses. What... What's your biggest regret from this year? Biggest regret, you know, and and this is as much regretting sort of the advice we dispensed early on. Um, I did draft this guy in one league. Uh, Marshawn Lynch, the Raiders running back, I really expected a big year out of him, uh, partially because I thought a much, I, I was expecting a much better year from that offensive line in Oakland, which it had been a top five unit uh, the previous year. They really took a step back. It seemed like they had some injuries, but... Just kind of some weird stuff going on there. So he didn't come through the way I expected. Sort of by the end of the year, you know, numbers wise, he looked okay. I mean, he was a starting fantasy running back. Mm -hmm. uh, but early on, he had like, you know, he had the one game where he was thrown out of, so he didn't get any points. He had a couple of no show games. Really, uh, sort of, you know, I, I regretted sort of having him 
using a third round pick on him. He, he just wasn't quite worth that investment. So I'm going to say that's my biggest regret, although not identifying Alvin Kamara a little bit yeah. earlier. I know Adrian Peterson was kind of like covering that up, and the Saints started slow. They, they, they opened up 0-2, uh, but he was a guy who, you know, we kind of said, hey, keep an eye on him. I really wish I had gone out and gotten him when he was available because, I mean, he was, he was a league winner this year. Yeah, absolutely. And, and just to get back to the Raiders quickly, just a strange year all the way around from them. I mean, Derek yep. Carr, shadow of what he was in 2016. Uh, even Crabtree, who started the season extremely well, like devolved into this like mess of a player. You know, he's getting his chain ripped off by Akeem Talib. Not uh, good. Not good. Amari uh, Cooper, certainly one of the biggest busts of the year. Yeah, he, he was uh, <laughs> as regretful as I might have been over Marshawn Lynch. If I had uh, oh. drafted Amari Cooper, I would have been regretting it far more. That that was a big, uh, big no-show and really out of nowhere. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so my, I guess my biggest regret was uh, not practicing what we preached. I mean, we said... Uh, coming into the season that uh, Kareem Hunt should be the first rookie running back off the board. I tend to shy away from rookies in general just because I don't like unknowns. Uh, it frightens me, the vastness of possibility. It, <laughs> it, it's just, it, it sends, uh, shivers up my spine. Uh, and I should have I bought in. I, and I, you saw that he was going to get that starting role when Spencer Ware went, went down. I never really pulled the trigger on him. I didn't get him in any leagues. Uh, so that's definitely my biggest uh, biggest uh, regret because that certainly would have changed uh, at least two two leagues uh, for the better. Totally agree. I, th- I think I would probably undervalued all of the fantasy running backs except for uh, except for Joe Mixon, who who kind of had a dud of a season. Mm-hmm. Um, so did the entire Bengals offense. Um, and then also, I think Christian McCaffrey, who I was I was highest on of all of them, he ended up having a solid season. Yeah. I, I think he ended up sort of right where I was hyping him, but I wasn't nearly high enough. On some of the other guys, even Dalvin Cook, he went out with the injury. Right. But when he was in there, he he was a star. Yeah, it, it really was a shame that Cook went down because he was on track to have a very good year, particularly with the way the Vikings' offense panned out, which was unexpectedly strong. Yep. Conversely, my my best decision of the year was I was able to get Alvin Kamara early in a number of leagues. Mm. That uh, definitely carried me uh, in two leagues. Uh, particularly a PPR league, which he's just an absolute monster. And we'll right. talk a little bit more about where he fits into uh, the draft plans next year a little bit later in the show. But uh, what, what was your best move of the year, you'd say? Uh, it, it's hard to argue with getting Todd Gurley in the second round. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't. Uh, the, that was the league I ended up missing the playoffs in. Uh, Odell Beckham Jr. was my, my first selection. Right. Uh, that I had gotten, and so you know, most years uh, Odell Beckham and then what Todd Gurley did, the number one scorer in all of fantasy football. You you start with that, you'd probably win a lot of leagues. But uh, I was sort of ravaged with injuries in that league. Uh, lost basically my all of my starting wide receivers. I ended up t- uh, trading away Todd Gurley to get Michael Thomas, mm. uh, who performed well at wide receiver, and then Carlos Hyde. That maybe my biggest regret. I I, I uh, I'll go back on this. I could have pushed that owner instead of Carlos Hyde, giving me Alvin Kamara because it was pre total Kamara. A breakout. I don't know if he would have done it because he he loved Kamara with good reason. Uh, but if I could have possibly done that, it would have been worth it. Any other Todd Gurley trade, you weren't getting fair value because uh, he just he kept getting better and better as the season went on. So I would say that was my my strongest move. I did take Le'Veon Bell number one overall uh, in the league. I ended up winning. So mm-hmm. uh, you know, fortunate there that I, I went with him over David Johnson. No, I wasn't predicting David Johnson's wrist injury. No, uh, no but I don't I, think he could. But I do think you know, obviously Le'Veon Bell was a stud this year. So. 
you know, those two were 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 good. And then I, I picked up Deshaun Watson sort of before he he totally broke out as a fantasy star. Only got so many weeks out of him because of the injury. But those three players uh, stick out to me. Yeah, injury is such a theme this season too. I mean, we talked about Cook. We talked about Deshaun Watson. I mean, Aaron Rodgers, not only did right. he go down, but he took the rest of the Packers receiving core with him, with the exception of Devontae Adams. Uh, so certainly a, a, a huge theme, and I'm sure there are a number of fantasy owners out there that thought they had a perfect roster in place, and then, you know, poof, it's it's gone, and, uh, it, and you know, you're seeing it carted off the field, uh, so to speak. All right, well, uh, we did want to revisit some of our uh, big ideas from throughout the season. So uh, some of the more notable ones from, from our draft specials, we we did advocate heavily on waiting on a quarterback. That one yes, we did. Definitely, definitely panned out, though. Uh, and, and I think some of this is a little bit of confirmation bias probably isn't the right word, but uh, it, it was sort of destined to be this way just because of general draft right. strategies. I, th- I do think more and more owners are coming around to waiting on quarterbacks, so the, the ADPs tend to skew that way. But if you look at the, the points scored for the remainder of the season, uh, of the top 10 scoring quarterbacks, five were drafted in round 10 or later, yep. uh, and eight were drafted in round eight or later. So, I mean, I, I definitely think the proof is in the pudding there, uh, especially a little bit skewed by the Aaron Rodgers injury. But, I mean, I think it, the strategy speaks for itself there, Jeff. I think so. I, and I think, you know, obviously your your view on this is going to be a lot different if, say, you waited and took uh, Carson Wentz and mm-hmm. Alex Smith as opposed to Andy Dalton and Tyrod Taylor. Like some of it is right. it ends right. up who you who you choose when you wait that long. I would say maybe a slight modification to the strategy is – you know, we had said wait, and then I added on, and then take two. Like once mm-hmm, you finally mm-hmm, decided mm-hmm. in the round ten, you know, I might say take two and make sure one is a high upside play that right. you get somebody that that um, that either sort of like a Jared Goff type as an example. You could have waited a lot later <laughs> than <laughs> round ten to get Jared Goff in, in this year's drafts, uh, but maybe sort of find somebody who has a little bit of upside baked into their game in addition to someone more solid. Uh, but obviously waiting, it, it just allows you to load up on, on the positions that matter the most in fantasy football, uh, and you can find some of those gens later. Yeah, absolutely. And, and in loading up, I, I, I rolled the dice in a number of leagues, uh, and I actually advocated uh, for this on the podcast, and uh, this, is, this will definitely fall in, under the feet-to-the-fire uh, portion of the broadcast, <laughs> which is I advocated to trade for Andrew Luck. I had drafted him in a number of leagues, totally convinced that – he was going to come back at like week six, and I was just going to be, you know, have a, a top four round quarterback that I got in round ten or later. Uh, yeah, not so much. Yeah, that was brutal, and, and you know, sort of it affected the entire team in the in the way that the Aaron Rodgers injury uh, uh, affected his teammates. You know, T. Y. Hilton, his fantasy oh, yeah, value. Brutal. Uh, we talked a lot about it on the podcast. You know, very boomer bust, more uh, more bust than than boom. Uh, Jack Doyle was was kind of hard to read. Um, you know, whether, uh, you know, it's it sort of varied week to week how he was performing. And then there wasn't a second wide receiver you could take on the team. Uh, Frank Gore was pretty, pretty steady as, as usual. But, uh, you know, th- that's one it's, you know, it, whenever it comes to injuries, stuff like that, I'd say the same thing for the Ezekiel Elliott suspension, trying to predict what was going on week right. to week with that. Right. A lot of that was out of the fantasy owner's hands. I don't think that was poor foresight. 
um, on on your part or anyone else who drafted Luck because he was supposed to be back. And then when you hear he's nearing his return, right? You get yeah. You, 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 if you have to make a bold move, it makes sense. But if you had uh, if anyone took you up on that, uh, I, I could see why they'd be a little upset with you. Yeah, yeah. Fortunately, um, I don't answer fan mail, so uh, that helps. <laughs> uh, and I choose to ignore reality whenever possible. Uh, I like <laughs> I also like beer. Uh, so moving on, uh, we mentioned before we did advocate that uh, Kareem Hunt should be the top rookie running back off the board. I mean, I think unequivocally we nailed that one. Uh, writing a little bit on the wall, though, just be- based on how Kansas City uses their running backs, yep. they don't prefer that that committee approach. They like to have a featured back uh, and a three down back at that. Yeah, I think absolutely. You know, uh, Hunt was one of the breakout fantasy stars, even with some down weeks in there. I mean, there there were a couple times. Uh, a couple weeks in the middle of the season, if you had him in, in your lineup, you weren't getting much in return. Uh, you know, I really think a guy like Leonard Fournette, I was probably more down on than I should have been in the preseason. Uh, he had a solid year. Uh, McCaffrey, I, I thought there was more explosive potential. I was kind of, I wasn't sure he would have the type of season that Alvin Kamara had, which was mm-hmm. otherworldly, but I thought we were going to see more explosiveness. And said McCaffrey was more just sort of a steady, high volume producer. Uh, but, but both really strong seasons. We mentioned Dalvin Cook. If he had stayed healthy, he was on on pace for a crazy year, and then Alvin Kamara. Uh, you, you might, uh, certainly the second half of the year, uh, he was the best rookie running back to have, but you know, th- th- this was a year where you could have had multiple rookies at running back if you were willing to really roll the dice. Uh, there were just so many strong performers. Yeah, and I think we were we were much higher on Joe Mixon, too, and that's yep. a bit of a surprise that he'd never really featured in as prominently as he did. I know there was the, they shared carries quite a bit early on. Jeremy Hill never really wanted to relinquish the job, or rather, they never really turned the, the job over to Mixon until yep. uh, basically it was too late, and then gets hurt, and it gets a little bit more complicated, and there's just nothing going on in Cincy. It was a very, very flat year for the Bengals. It really was. Not, not quite sure why Marvin Lewis is coming back, especially after uh, he he said he seemed to be saying he was leaving and just some odd stuff there. I do think there might be a little bit of a lesson to take away as you apply to next year's drafts when evaluating rookies. First of all, this next year's rookie running back class isn't likely to be as strong as this one top to bottom, That'd which was tough, just phenomenal. Yeah. But just sort of, you know, in the preseason, you would have said, oh, well, like Joe Mixon has the clearest path to a heavy workload among the rookie running backs where guys like a guy like Alvin Kamara. Oh, well, there's a log jam. There's three guys. One of three. Yeah. Uh, you know, maybe you, you err on the side of picking talent and, and sort of accounting on the situation because the situation is going to look very different even a few weeks into the season as they do compared to how they do in the preseason. Yeah, absolutely. And, and let's stick with murky running back decisions for a second because uh, in one of our early shows, we did the do not draft list in that it was players that we don't want to take at their current average draft position. We just think the value wasn't there. Yep. And this was after we knew Ezekiel Elliott was going to be suspended. We knew he was going to have some number of games away from the NFL or so we thought. Like it was yeah. very nebulous. So we advocated not drafting Ezekiel Elliott in the second round, which is where he was currently going at the time of that show. I'm interested in how this panned out and get your take on it, Jeff, because I, I look at it and I could I could see a case both ways. Right. I mean, it, and I'm using the notes you uh, you were you were kind enough to share on this, but the running back twelve. Uh, 203.2 points this season from Elliott. That's even with the suspension. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, is that worth a late second-round pick? I'd say so. I mean, it certainly, um, you know, certainly didn't burn you. He probably helped you win a lot of matchups while he was in the lineup. Were you able to find replacements based on, you know, who else you drafted? 
Um, so I, I'm a little torn on it. There was also a possibility. There were times during the season where it looked like he might not be suspended at all. Right. That this might be, continue on at least until next season. Um, or possibly we, we would have like a, a an abridged suspension, maybe it'd be four games instead of six. So, uh, you know, I think it probably uh, it'd be interesting to hear from Elliot owners. My guess is it kind of varied on a week to week basis. Was he out for the weeks that you needed him most? Mm-hmm. Um, and that sort of burn your team if you didn't have somebody to to plug in there. So I think just like face value, I think he was worth a late second round or certainly early third. Um, but I think on, on an overall basis, it probably depended just on, on those individual weeks. Yeah, I ended up uh, getting Elliott in one league, which was a, a keeper league, an auction league, and I got him at a significant discount. Uh, so that was sort of a no-brainer to me. The problem I ran into, though, and again, this is an auction uh, waiver league, a blind auction uh, waiver league, is I kept trying to chase his replacement. You yeah. know, I, I, is it going to be Morris? Is it going to be McFadden? And I ended up uh, having McFadden on my team. He, he retires halfway through the season, uh, <laughs> which certainly helped no one. Uh, and I also had Alfred Morris, who was okay but not great. Right. The guy I really wanted uh, turned out to be Rod Smith, who was sort of lurking at the fringes there and ends up outscoring Morris in the, the six weeks that Elliott's out. So I, to, to me, I think it was the right move to take Elliott in uh, uh, the second round just based on how he did perform while he was in there. I think the the one complicating factor was having to chase his replacement. So if you yep. had a, a, t- a player that wasn't on the Cowboys, who wasn't a Cowboys running back, and that was the guy you were subbing in, you probably made out very well. Yeah, I think that probably there's there's certainly risk involved in trying to predict. It's hard enough to figure out who the starter is and sort of right. project how they're going to do. Then you're trying to guess the backup situation uh, can be really challenging. So I, I do think anyone who was sort of caught uh, caught chasing after his replacement or maybe wasted you know some valuable draft capital we were talking about does Darren McFadden go in the eighth round if you take right Ezekiel Elliott in the in the second round it's like well at that point clearly that value proposition that combo wasn't worth it right no absolutely and and that's where I ran ran into trouble and that that draft league actually the blind big league ended up running out of fab money and I couldn't replace Carson Wentz when Wentz got hurt because I was too busy chasing as Elliott's replacement so uh really uh not my best general manager job there (laughs) um all right so selfishly I wanted to, to wrap up our uh our look back with um, my sort of proprietary draft strategy, um, which is uh, draft every running back you can get your hands on. So uh, I felt that this played out pretty well. Like, I had a couple of leagues where I underperformed, but it was pretty clearly because I missed at one position. Uh, I had some injuries, or uh, in one case, I started the season with Andy Dalton for the first three weeks as my quarterback. That'd uh, do it. Yes, uh, and I missed the, the playoffs by one game. Um, but ended up uh, being the highest-scoring team over the last three weeks. So I would have won the title if I'd only made the playoffs, which won't uh, linger in my uh, psyche for very long. <laughs> um, but the, the RB Palooza uh, strategy, just to reiterate, was um, it, it was a combination platter of the zero running back uh, strategy with actually taking running backs early. So uh, the zero running back strategy advocates shying away from running backs altogether through the first five rounds and uh, trying to take high upside, uh, high point producing wide receivers, tight ends. And part of it is the zero RB strategy. Once you do start drafting them a little bit later on, right. that you take a lot of them. So that's right. sort of where the over on the Venn diagram of these <laughs> uh, these strategies. That's where where you overlap with it. 
uh, although yours uh, yours is just take as many uh, as humanly possible. Yeah, uh, which is a little twist. Yeah, so I, I think I wanted. I think I said I wanted six by round ten. Uh, and I was able to accomplish that in a number of leagues. Uh, Des and Jeff differed by saying they wanted about one fewer running back on the roster so that they could have one more wide receiver or tight end, yep. which I think is, is is certainly acceptable. In a couple instances, uh, I found myself sort of wanting to do the same thing, but for the sake of testing the theory, I, I sort of stuck to my guns. I, I do think it panned out, in, and here's why. So if you look at the, the top uh, wide receivers this season from from the top scoring wide receiver who was Antonio Brown to wide receiver four uh, who was uh, Larry Fitzgerald uh, so is Brown DeAndre Hopkins Keenan Allen then Larry Fitzgerald from Brown to Fitzgerald there was a 50 point drop which is just massive I mean Brown yeah. Brown and Hopkins just had gangbuster seasons uh, and even Keenan Allen had about 280 points according to the ESPN uh, PPR scoring um so that's a pretty big drop, but once you remove those three guys who are just total freaks, and you go from Fitzgerald, who is the fourth uh, high-scoring wide receiver, down to uh, wide receiver 16, well, that was also a 50-point drop. So now you're getting yeah. a lot more guys under that umbrella, and if you go all the way out to uh, the, the uh, fill out your starting wide receivers with in a 12-team league to wide receiver 24, we're, we're looking at like a 62-point uh, cushion. Well. Yeah. If you break it down another way, you can you compare that to running backs. Once you take out the the crazy top three guys at each position, so the running backs, you take out Kamara, you take out Le'Veon Bell, uh, you take out Todd, Todd Gurley, then you're looking at a potential drop of 4.7 points per game from the top receiver. Uh, or I'm sorry, for the uh, wide receiver four to wide receiver 24, you're looking at 4.7 points per game. Uh, which is considerable, but it, it's it's not that big. If you do the same exercise for wide receivers, it's 8.6 points per game. For so running backs, you for, mean. I'm sorry, yes. M- uh, much bigger drop for running backs mm-hmm. in points per game than for wide receivers, outside of that truly elite class. Right. Thank you for summarizing that, Jeff. I appreciate that. So uh, you're gaining much more of an advantage by trying to accumulate, accumulate as many running backs as you can with those early picks, in addition to say, some late late flyers. Yep, definitely. And I think, you know, sort of the the point that Des and I were making early on was, you know, six might be too many, just puts too much pressure on those wide receiver picks. This is assuming you're probably waiting on a quarterback. Right. We're right. Certainly for Absolutely. our purposes, yep. we're saying wait till round 10 uh, to, to take one. Um, it, you know, it, it just really depends. Like it, in one of the leagues where I ended up in the semifinals, my starting wide receivers basically for the entire season uh, were Antonio Brown and Brandon Cooks, and I had Alshon Jeffrey at my flex. And right. those guys were healthy all year long. They yep. stayed on the field. Antonio Brown at the very tail end of the season uh, got hurt, but um, and then and then the you know I went a little wide receiver heavy there. Then Christian McCaffrey was one of my running backs. He was healthy all season long. So mm-hmm. if you if you were to only take uh, maybe three wide receivers, one tight end early on. Uh, and then you get two or three of those guys get hurt, all of a sudden you're really in a bad way. Now, if your running backs have hit, maybe you can make a trade and, and you sort of uh, you pan out that way. So I think health factors in uh, to this certainly, and that that's a harder thing to predict uh, in the preseason, but clearly pretty con- convincing uh, statistical evidence here for the uh, for the Hume. Uh, running back theory. Yeah, and, and I do I do see what you're saying about replacing those wide receivers, but I think that's going to mostly be a, a factor if we're talking about guys like Odell Beckham uh, going down, who you're just not going to replace on, yeah. on the waiver wire. You you you, you take Sterling Shepard. It's not you know it's not a one for one ratio. Or Roger Lewis. Or, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Or whatever uh, whatever guy from J.C. Penney they were rolling out there in Week 17. 
Um, so I, I think that's going to be something I'm going to explore a lot next year. I mean, I use this strategy, and I got uh, Christian McCaffrey in a number of leagues, Carlos Hyde in a number of leagues in the earlier rounds, and those both ended up being top 10 running backs, and I was able to pair them with some guys like Le'Veon Bell, uh, Jordan Howard, uh, and do pretty well in a lot of uh, leagues. And then I was able to get Kamara late. I got Alex Collins uh, off waivers. I got Duke Johnson late in drafts. I got Chris Thompson uh, late in drafts, and he was great until he got hurt. Uh, but clearly there's there's no silver bullet strategy when it comes to fantasy football. I mean, I think everyone's making a, the best educated guess that they can uh, based on how they think uh, player values are going to go down. And in terms of maximizing draft value, that's that's sort of where I come at this from uh, for the RB Palooza. And uh, I think I'll be interested to employ it next season. Yeah, I agree with that. I think, you know, you, you've got to sort of um, – you want to collect assets in fantasy football, it's sort of like the NBA in that right. regard. Where it's the uh, process, you know, the process you, exactly. Uh, uh, we're like the Sixers of uh, fantasy football advice podcast. Uh, no, I just think it, you've got to collect as many. Don't get too hung up on positional designations um, and saying, "Oh, well, I got to fill in these boxes here in the draft room." If you get, if you compile a lot of really good uh, running backs, and then they all stay healthy, then you've got trade bait later on. Absolutely, you can address an issue. Uh, at quarterback, or wide receiver, or tight end. So in- interesting results. I still think I'm only taking five out of ten. Uh, but uh, but like I said, pretty uh, pretty compelling stuff. All right. Well, let's uh, wrap up the season with a quick look to 2018, which means we get to use one more drop before the end of the year. What to watch for? <laughs> Jeff, it's way too early for uh, 2018 mock drafts. A lot of these ch- players are going to be changing teams still. Uh, a lot of situations to get sorted out. But just looking at your top five candidates, if you're trying to figure out who the number one pick could be right now, who, who you got on your shortlist? Well, I actually did a top ten, but I'll, I'll start with the top Overachiever, five. Jeff. I would say I had a hard time once I got to that four or five range because, like you said, there are a few things up in the air. I'm going with Todd Gurley maybe as, like, the most sure thing mm-hmm. at this moment mm-hmm. in time. Antonio Brown, uh, wait to see what happens in, in Pittsburgh with the quarterback situation if Ben Roethlisberger were to hang it up. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott, I think, is going to be a major bounce-back candidate uh, next season, obviously, uh, presumably he won't have any suspensions uh, hanging over his head. Kareem Hunt, I think, uh, likely a new quarterback there, but I think Patrick Mahomes may be a more explosive offense. I don't mm-hmm. think—I mm-hmm. I think Kareem Hunt stays about at the same level, uh, a top-five fantasy guy next year. Le'Veon Bell, we don't know if he's going to be back with the Steelers. We don't know— That's big. Uh, we don't know if Roethlisberger will be back there. Uh, if Bell is back, you know, it could be Le'Veon Bell— uh, suiting up for the Cleveland Browns next season. Now, I still think he's a fantasy stud. He's a first-round pick no matter what, uh, but just a little bit of an unknown as to whether he's like, he could be number one overall if he's back with the Steelers, right. or he could sort of be in the middle there. So those were those were my five guys. You want my next five? Oh, I can, I can we run got time, Jeff. Bit. Let's do this thing. DeAndre Hopkins, I think, with Deshaun Watson at quarterback, uh, is a surefire first-rounder. Odo Beckham Jr., I expect him to bounce back well. we got to see who the quarterback is. Right. Could very well be that it's Josh Rosen and, and a rookie quarterback. Um, but you know what? Josh Rosen likes to throw the ball downfield, so maybe that's not such a bad thing for Beckham's fantasy value. Julio Jones, I think, is a bounce-back candidate. Alva Kamara, I think, is likely a top-10 uh, pick unless something strange happens, like Drew Brees retires. Um, and I'm going to throw out wild cards, Saquon Barkley, the mm. Penn State running back, likely top-10 NFL draft pick in the right uh, right situation for him from a fantasy perspective. I think he might be a first-rounder. So that's a little bit of a wild card. 
Uh, but I'm, for now, I'm going to put him in a top 10. Well, that, that last one is pretty interesting to me, Jeff, just based on the fact that there aren't too many rookies that come in right away uh, and do what we, we saw this season. And to have him up there, like obviously you were reticent to put any of these this year's rookies in the right. top 10. What has you so convinced that Barkley is that guy? I mean, again, assuming he lands in a uh, not terrible situation. Yeah, our old, our old pals, uh, Todd McShay and Mel Kuyper over at ESPN, you know, they're calling him one of the better uh, running back prospects they've scouted. I'm pretty sure, I hope I'm not wow. misquoting Todd here. I think he said since Adrian Peterson, this is the guy with the highest grade uh, he's given, and he's just such a fit for the modern NFL because he can catch it mm-hmm. in addition to running it, which, as we know, in PPR fantasy leagues is enormous. Uh, so it just sort of depends on which team he lands with. Say if he goes to the Browns with the number four pick and they've got a rookie quarterback and right, things, right, are, right. things are kind of yeah. a mess, maybe, maybe not, but... Uh, you know, depending on where he lands. And it wouldn't surprise if, me if a team moves up to get him. He's that kind of talent. Uh, I, I think he, he's someone just have on your watch list. Obviously, you're not going to be drafting for a while. Right on. Well, I, I, I sort of assumed that uh, the Steelers would come to their senses and give uh, Levy and Bell the contract that he deserves. So I, I do have him at number one still. Yeah. Uh, Gurley at number two. You've got to like the way the Rams are shaping up. Another year for, uh, for Jared Goff out there. The receiving core gets a little bit more on, uh, on the same page. And I think that that offense could be even more explosive next season. So I got him number two. Kareem Hunt number three. I like Alvin Kamara a little bit more than you do for a couple of reasons. One, I think they're going to give him a little bit more of the workload next season. I think uh, that's fair. And I, and I do like him in, in PPR formats just in that he is going to have that sort of high floor from a reception standpoint, sort of like Christian McCaffrey showed this season. Uh, and then I got Antonio Brown five. Uh, he and, and Kamara sort of interchangeable for me at four and five. If I get either one of those guys, I'm really psyched. Uh, and then I liked uh, a lot of the guys that you listed for the second half of your top ten. Um, I don't know if I would be quite as bold on uh, Julio Jones. There's just something about him in, in the way that the, the Falcons use him where it just it's so up and down. It's, it's yeah, very T.Y. It Hilton-esque uh, from this season and not in a good way. Yeah, I think you're right. And, and you know, I, I wouldn't want to draw uh, a direct comparison, but I do think – he, he's the type of guy you should look for value, maybe in a Todd Gurley sense of a guy mm-hmm. who like clearly has the talent, had a very right. down year last year, or, or I guess rel- by relative standards. Um, but he's a guy maybe, you know, if Julio Jones slips to the second round, I really like that as a second round pick, a high upside pick. Uh, figure the Falcons offense bounces back a little bit in the passing game because certainly a down year for Matt Ryan. But mm-hmm. it, it's a good point. And Julio Jones's best statistical year, best fantasy year, uh, came in Matt Ryan's MVP season. That you know that was unsustainable no matter what. Sure, sure. Uh, but I, so I I do agree. There's there's probably a question mark there. But you know, hey, early mid second round pick, I'll take Julio Jones. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So in terms of off season NFL moves that you're going to be watching for that could have significant fantasy impact, where are you casting your gaze in the off season? It's got to be Kirk Cousins, oh, right? Oh baby. It's, it's not just because uh, we live in this world uh, here in D.C. It's the only thing anyone has talked about every day, and and with good reason. You know, the quarterback position matters that much in the NFL. Uh, it, you know, it's going to be interesting. I think his floor is pretty high from a fantasy perspective. Kind of no matter what happens, whether he is back in Washington uh, or if he he lands with another team. You know, the the list of teams is long. I think like. If he were to end up with the Steelers, uh, if Ben Roethlisberger retired, or you know the Broncos, who have a good pair of wide receivers, uh, maybe even the Giants, uh, God forbid for Redskins fans, if he ends up in the division, uh, you know if he's got Odell Beckham, I think it's it's sort of high ceilings. The other teams, 
uh, like the Browns, the Bills, the Jets. Those aren't necessarily steps up, but I do think like he's he's a high volume, uh, efficient passer. So I think from a fantasy standpoint, he's pretty good. My question for you, Mike, mm-hmm. is do you think he's back with the Redskins? I do not. I think he's gone. I think his bags are packed. I and I I think. There's no way that you can justify franchise tagging him, and that I think it's the only way to guarantee he's going to be back. It'd right? be something like thirty-four million. Yeah, which is just prohibitively expensive. This team clearly has too many needs to just spend this money on quarterback. They could, they need to find some semblance of a running back because everyone they have is mangled. Uh, obviously, Chris Thompson will be back. We would assume Samashe Ryan will be back. Who knows about Rob Kelly? But the the wide receiver core needs improvement for sure. Yeah, uh, they need to figure out what they're going to do with Jordan Reed. I think he comes back because of his potential and because of the, uh, the money that's owed to him. Uh, but obviously he needs to get on the field. And the, right. the defense has holes. There, there's too much money to, that they need to spend. Uh, that They can't spend $34 million of it at one position with Kirk Cousins. I, I think he goes elsewhere. If, if Roethlisberger retires, man, that's an awfully interesting landing spot in Pittsburgh. He, he, he could set up shop there. He's got a ton of weapons around him. Ready make contender. That's going to be really appealing for him. But I think the bigger lesson uh, is as far as talking about Kirk's fantasy floor goes, he's going to be able to choose his spot. So unless he's really all about chasing the money, which I don't think that's what this is really about. uh, He's not going to go to a team that he's not going to be a fit for, or there's not a lot of passing game uh, weapons around him. He's going to go to a prime spot. He's going to go to a Denver who has two great wide receivers and a great defense and has a chance at, uh, at winning a Super Bowl. So I don't see him going to like the Browns or going to even the Bills, uh, who are a playoff team this year, but don't really have those offensive weapons uh, with the exception of LaShawn McCoy. Um, so I think the, the floor for him remains high. If you can get him cheap in a dynasty or keeper league, I think that's probably uh, a trade-off ride float. Um, the other, the other uh, move I'm keeping an eye on, it, uh, in addition to that Le'Veon Bell contract, uh, do the Saints make a move? I mean, they have a very good Super Bowl-worthy team right now. Mm-hmm. Do they want to mess with the Ingram-Kamara split, or are, are they very comfortable with this backfield that's working very well for fantasy owners right now? You have two number one fantasy running backs in the same backfield. I don't think you want to see them mess with a good thing and give Kamara a future goal. I think this is just fine. Yeah, I think so. I, you know, I think it's probably to the benefit of each player to not have to to carry 100% of the load, uh, the, the hit sort of accumulating over the course of the season. We might have even seen that a little bit with Kareem Hunt sort of right. as he, he, you know, hit sort of hit the rookie wall. Uh, Alvin Kamara certainly didn't have that happen uh, well, with him. Uh, so I don't think they mess with anything unless there's a situation where, you know, it's stuff we can't see where Mark Ingram's unhappy and he mm-hmm. wants to be dealt to somebody else where he's going to get more of the workload. But you know what? I think he's probably, they certainly seem to be saying the right things that they sort of like the split. I did see that if Mark Ingram was named a first team all pro, he, his contract becomes null and void. He's, he's an automatic free agent. But I don't think that's likely, uh, given that'd the be, other, that'd the, be tough. The, the player, I, I would think Alvin Kamara would be a more of a first team all pro candidate than Ingram, but, uh, certainly an interesting possibility. But no, I, th- I think they're both, uh, they're both back, and they're both very viable uh, fantasy assets. Between the two, I'd rather have Kamara, certainly. All right, well, uh, I think we actually reached the finish line here, Jeff. We've, we've made it to cool. past, past the fantasy playoffs, past the wrap-up show. It's, uh, it's time for our offseason. So. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, see, uh, see you back here in July sometime. Yeah, uh, don't don't forget about the uh, podcast and combine though. Uh, that's where, right, where, mini know. mini camp in, in May. Yes, I'll work on my uh, my sit and reach or whatever uh, what they're doing for the, the combine this year. I don't think it's that. It's not the sit and reach. Oh. I'll have to talk to my PE teacher. All right, well, uh, that'll do it for us this season. Thank you very much for everyone that has listened and subscribed. Uh, in the meantime, reach out to us on Twitter. I'm at Mike Hume Post. I'm at Jeff Dooley underscore. Thanks for listening.